0: Today's reading is Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave them growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each other will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building.
1: Let's pray. We'll send your spirit among us, O oh God, as we meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Prepare our minds to hear your word. Move our hearts to accept what we hear. Purify our will to obey in joy and faith. This we pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. If you haven't met me yet, I'm Jake. I'm part of the team. Uh, Again, so glad to be with you. I want to encourage you to do what Kendra said, that if you're not part of a community group, join one. Uh, That's how we pretty much do everything uh, in this church. It's in and through community groups. Also, if you're new and you haven't received one of these books yet, this is just a 1 Corinthians uh, scripture journal. And if you open it up, there's just a text of 1 Corinthians in it. And beside it are notes, or sorry, a blank page where you can write notes. And I'd encourage you, just throw up your hand right now if you haven't got one of these. And Heath and Ann are going to come around and give you one of these. So throw up your hand right now. Don't be shy. There's a bunch of people who don't have one. And we're going to come around and we'll give you one. This is our gift uh, to you. Be blessed. Be encouraged. by it. As you take notes, uh, as I speak, or our community group during the week, we just want you to be encouraged to be in God's word, however that can happen. And so that's our gift to you. Also, if you're new and you're coming this morning, we're in 1 Corinthians 3, and really you haven't missed much. I mean, you've missed a lot, but you haven't missed much. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is circling back around to that sort of primary problem he identified all the way back in chapter 1. And the problem is this. There are divisions and fractures and and breaks in God's church. People who are supposed to be one, united for God's glory in this world, are divided, are fractured. And what we're gonna see this morning is that at the foundation of that division is a question. It's a question that the Corinthians were answering wrong. And it's a question that you and I get wrong all the time. And the question is this, ready? How do I grow? How do I grow? All throughout our Bibles, we find the assumption, in fact, the commands, that we are to grow. And so Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 Grow Christians in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that they're to grow up in every way. For the Christian, our growth is not just sort of general, generic growth, it's specific. It's it's tailored. It's going somewhere. Specifically, we are to grow up in Christ. In Christ. We are to grow in Christ. Our life is to look more and more like Jesus, like his life, until the day Jesus returns and the image of Christ is perfected in us. That's Christian growth. And it's for this reason there exists, I think, hardwired in every single person whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, an atheist, however you come this morning, there exists hardwired in every human being an inclination to growth, right? Not just physically, right? Not just in our knowledge, not just superficially, but deep soul growth. We all have this desire, don't we? There is, of course, I don't know if you know this, a problem, While we desire this deep growth, superficial growth comes easy, comes naturally. But deep growth is hard. Our bodies mature, whether we do anything or not. But internally, we're a mess. Our knowledge increases, right? We go on the Google and we Google things, and we increase our knowledge. But internally, we're no more comfortable in our skin than we are the day before. Superficial growth is easy. It's easy. Deep soul growth is hard. And the Corinthians sought to answer this question, this problem, by saying things like this. Well, the way that you grow is by attaching yourself to a patron, right? We talked about that a few weeks back. We just say something like this. We we get a guru, right? We find a guru to adhere to, to subscribe to on, on YouTube. Or we say, as the Corinthians did, we grow by accumulating more knowledge, more information. Again, the problem with the Corinthian model of growth and really the modern model of growth is that it fails to deliver on its promise of happiness, doesn't it? It fails we've read in 1 Corinthians so far just look at this one church that there is quarreling among God's people and we think of quarreling like a small argument but that's not what's happening they are quarreling to the point they can't be with each other anymore in our text this morning we read this there is jealousy Paul says and strife among you it is ugly in Corinth in this moment not pretty, ugly so how do we grow? How do we grow in Christ? How do we mature? How do we become, how do you become more and more the person God has created you to be? That's the question I want us to answer today. But because Paul is writing to a church, I want to answer also a more of a bigger picture question as well. And so first point that we'll look at this morning is how do we grow or how do I grow? But the second point, Paul's going to zoom out in verses 5 to 9 and ask this question, how does the church grow? And we'll see how those are related. So how do we grow and how does the church grow? Are we awake this morning? We're we're here? Some of us? Yes, we're here. Awesome. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 4 Also, if you don't have a Bible, we have extra Bibles at the back. Take one, keep one, grab one. It's our gift to you as well. But you have it in that booklet in front of you. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 4. Read that with me. But I, brothers, and the word here is I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? We'll stop there. Paul said, and Daniel showed us last week, that you can't have the Spirit of God without the cross of Christ. You can't have the Spirit of God without the cross of Christ. You can't be a spiritual person, a truly wise person, a mature person without the cross of Jesus. And really last week, Paul does something kind of brash and not very comfortable to us. He distinguishes the whole world into two categories. So says it's simple. The whole world fits in two categories. You're either spiritual... You're spirit people or you're unspiritual. The spirit's not in you. He's not dwelling among you. And so you can imagine the Corinthian church having just heard that the whole world is divided into two categories. They're sitting on the edge of their seat. Someone's reading this letter to them and they're wondering, which are we, right? Surely we're amongst the spiritual, Paul. You've heard about the gifts that we had. Right. You've heard about the, the kinds of sermons that are being preached in our church. Like, surely we're among the spiritual. And in one of the most stinging rebukes that Paul gives really in all of scripture, he says this. I want us to hear this, what it is. But I, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spirit people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Here's the Corinthian church. We're a big deal. We're Corinth. Things happen in Corinth. And Paul says, you kids. your babes. Children. Now, now, the metaphors that Paul is using here, the metaphor of, of child and adult and milk and solid food, this is language in the ancient world that would have been used all the time in religious and philosophical settings except there's a difference. Because in the religious and philosophical settings of Paul's day, and really in our day as well, there was an expectation that in the early days, in the kid days, you would grow up to get different and new information in the adult days, right? You get the milk early on, sort of like the, the, the easy stuff, but then when you got to the solid food, you're getting actually new information, new revelation. If we can think of sort of a modern day example, we can think really easily of something like Scientology. In Scientology, this is exactly what happens. You pay to get information early on. And as you pay more money, it's actually a fantastic scheme. As you pay more money, I'll be giving lessons later for $120. As you pay more money, I'm joking, you get new information, new revelation, stuff you didn't get early on. If you just pay, you can get it later. That's not, hear me, Christ City, what Paul is talking about here in our text. He's not saying, I gave you sort of the beginner stuff, but, I, but I've held back on, on like the adult stuff. He's not saying I gave you sort of like the easy to understand stuff, and I've held back on sort of like, you know, the, the, the level 10 Christian stuff. No, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not how Paul views maturity in Christ. See, Paul, and we'll see this, he never envisions us moving beyond the cross he never envisions us moving beyond what's been revealed to us in Scripture. In fact, his very criticism of the Corinthian church is that they've done exactly that. They've grown bored with the gospel. I've heard it before. And as an aside, I think that Paul's criticism of the Corinthian church might apply to us this morning. There is this podcast that I hate. I hate it so much. And I don't hate the people who who put on the podcast. I want to be very clear. I hate the ideas this podcast espouses. It teaches. See, the podcast began in a sort of pseudo-Christian way. It sort of began maybe with an inkling of the gospel. But the gospel became quickly in this podcast very irrelevant actually reprehensible and actually a tool of the oppressor over the oppressed and let's get rid of the gospel altogether. Now to go on the website of this this podcast's website is to find a poster of Jesus riding a unicorn with an Eastern mystic religious figure playing a flute advertising for some sort of drug-filled dance event. When we leave the gospel of Jesus we get into all sorts of trouble. When we grow beyond it, past it, we say, not for me anymore. We get in all sorts of trouble. And so how do we grow? The first part of that answer is really simple. We grow in maturity in Christ by going deeper into Jesus, not by deserting Jesus. Hear me, Christ City. We grow by going deeper into who Jesus is, not by deserting Jesus and his gospel. See, in Ephesians 3, eight, Paul speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Romans 11.33, Paul, caught up in a fit of worship, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? See, pursuing maturity in Christ means, as one author suggests, that we consider the possibility that your current and our current mental idea of Jesus is the tip of the iceberg. That there are wondrous depths to him realities about him still awaiting our discovery. And some of you would say this, listen, Jake, I've been a follower of Jesus longer than you've been alive. Very possible. But if Christ's depths of all he is are unsearchable, then you can be a follower of Jesus for 300 years and you're still at the tip of the iceberg. Do you see that, Christ city? We grow not by deserting Jesus and his gospel, but by going deeper into who he is. And I think this really hits home when we consider how many of us first heard of Jesus. And many of us first heard of Jesus like this. Jesus is the one who saves us so we can go to heaven. Right? That's how many many of us first heard Jesus, a gospel presentation like that. He saves us so we can go to heaven. And there's a good and glorious truth in that. But if we we stop there with who Jesus is, we, we haven't gone deep enough. Maturity means thinking and praying and meditating on what all of Christ has to say about all of your life. In a book that we used to hand out to our community group leaders, author and pastor Jeff Vanderstel, he says this, If we try to instruct and counsel or grow one another with something other than the truths of Jesus Christ, then every area in which we speak something other than Christ will be an area in which we grow away from him. Think about that. This is why so many people look to Jesus only for their afterlife. They've been given the truths of Jesus primarily as the answer for going to heaven when they die. Listen to what Van der Stelt says. I think this is so true but they have little knowledge of how Jesus gives a better answer for what they do with their money, their sexuality, their work, or their families. We grow in maturity as we go deeper into all of who Christ is and allow him to speak to all that our life is. Now, there were other concepts of maturity floating around the ancient world at the time. Many that were very popular for obvious reasons said that you could grow spiritually and it required nothing of you ethically. It required nothing of you morally. It required nothing of your life. See, you might object at this point. Look back at your text with me. You might object. Paul, how do you know that they're infants? How do you know that they're they're mere babes? What gives you the grounds, Paul, to insult the Corinthian church like this? And Paul would say this to you in a loving and generous way. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See, contrary to what existed in that ancient world and contrary to what exists now, our Christian maturity is always expressed in the fruit of our life, in the things we do, in the words we say. See, here's the second part of the answer to the question, how do we grow? We grow through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We grow through the life of God in the soul of man. This, Paul has just said, is what distinguishes us who are truly spiritual or spirit people and those who are of the flesh. It's the living presence of the Holy Spirit in each believer. Our growth, then, is not, listen... God, then me. So God gets the ball rolling, but then it's up to me from there. It's not God, then me. It's not God, not me. Where God does the growth, I just kind of, you know, lay back, relax. All right, God, I'm just going to chill here. It's not God, then me. It's not God, not me. It's not even God plus me. As if we're somehow co-equals in this. No. No. It's not God, then me. It's not God, not me. It's not God plus me. It is God, Jerry Bridges says, in me. God, in me. See, when the Spirit lives in you, his very presence is made evident by the fruit in your life. And Paul writes to the Galatian churches, and perhaps you've heard this verse before. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my will, or the fruit of my skill, but the fruit of the Spirit. This past week, if you don't know me, you'll soon figure out I'm very, very broken inside, and I fail all the time, just like you. And this past week, I was reflecting uh, with Paul, who's playing drums up here, on how I messed up big time. And I failed to show compassion and hospitality to the stranger in like a really embarrassing way. And you know what Paul said to me? He said, Jake, thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit. And he's right. Thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit, because I cannot do it on my own. Growth begins at the exact moment that we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I just want to stop and just ask you right now. How is the Holy Spirit asking you to bend the knee to King Jesus this morning? And will you stop resisting? Contrast the fruit of the Spirit with what Paul sees in the Corinthian church Paul sees division he sees jealousy he sees strife and he knows he knows where this comes from again Galatians 5 now the works of the flesh are evident, obvious clear sexual immorality impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, in chapter 1, it's clear Paul has no doubt as to the true identity of of these Corinthians, of this church. They are the church of God in Corinth. They are spirit people, right? Right? He is, however, as has become apparent, deeply concerned that they are not acting like who they are. Like who Christ has made them to be. He says, you're jealous. You're, you're bickering. You're, you're snapping at one another. He says, though you are spirit people, I had to talk to you. Indeed, I'm even still talking to you like flesh people. People who still think after all this time in a mere earthly, human way. Which leads me to the third answer we need to see about how we grow, and it's this. We grow when our allegiance is to Christ and his gospel alone. Let me say that again. We grow when our allegiance is to Christ and his gospel alone. In our text, I hope you see this, there are like flashing red lights of warning. Flashing red lights of warning in our text. Don't miss it. It's evident from the Corinthian behavior that their allegiance is first to worldly status before it is to Christ. And Paul says, here's the warning, it's flashing. When our behavior is constantly and consistently and unrepentantly fleshly, there comes a point where Paul's gonna say, wait a second. You're not spirit people at all. Your external life is imaging to me and to everyone around you your internal allegiance. You're not spirit people at all. In other words, if this morning your heart is happily divided between allegiance to work and money, and sex, and prestige, and other people's affirmation, and Jesus gets like one slice of that pie, not only will you not grow, but it's actually unclear if you belong to Jesus. And that sounds very harsh, but that's exactly what Paul is saying. Your external behavior images to us your internal allegiance. See, here's the lie that some of us are believing this morning. I know it because I'm tempted to believe it as well. It's this. Growth is optional. It's optional. I can happily exist on the margins of this Christianity thing. I'll come. I'll take a few notes. My my kids will get a good moral framework downstairs. But I'm not really all in. I'm content with being a marginal, sort of fringe Christian. Level one is fine with, with, with me. If I can, I want us to take this way of thinking. And I want to show you through a very silly story how stupid it is. Imagine with me this imagine with me if my son was to come up to me later on today and say something like this Dad. I'm so thankful of that meal you cooked last night. It was good. It was delicious. It was steak, potatoes. There's no vegetables, exactly how it should be. And I know I'm a growing boy. And I know I need to consume increasingly more calories, right? The nutritionists are nodding their head, right, Carly? That's right. But you know what? From here on out, when I'm hungry, and that will mostly be at Christmas and Easter, if I'm being honest with you, When I'm hungry, I'll go to mom. I'll say, Mom, give me some of the good stuff. I'll do the rest of my life. I'll be a 40 year old man still being breastfed. That's crazy, right? Someone say borderline inappropriate. Maybe just inappropriate. But we think that way all the time. My concern, and I'm being very serious here. If we can just leave the imagery behind for a second. (laughs) My concern is that some of us are deeply malnourished this morning. And I want to say with Paul, brothers and sisters, I want you to grow into Christ. But some of you are 40 years old and being breastfed. And that's crazy. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's time to grow up. Again, brothers and sisters, it's time to grow up. It's time to make an inventory of your life. All of it. And ask, what does this mean in light of the gospel event? It's time to grow up. It's time to surrender to the Spirit and say, Jesus, I cannot give up these things on my own. I cannot do this on my own. I need you to come by your Spirit and do what I cannot do in me. It's time to grow up. It's time to take those idols that have divided your allegiance to Jesus. Think of them now. Think of them. And it's time to smash them, to break them, to not go back to them. It's time to grow up. Because if you don't do this, if you don't grow up, you will die. You'll die. That's how we grow in Christ. But 1 Corinthians, of course, is not first a letter to individuals. It's a letter to a church. And so Paul zooms out now in verses 5 to 9, and he asks the question, how does the church grow? How does the church grow? Look at verses 5 to 9 with me. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed as a Lord assigned to each. I planted... Now, we might be tempted this morning to think that individual growth is somehow unrelated, disconnected from from the growth of the church. And when I talk about church growth, to be very clear, that's a phrase that in the 90s, early 2000s meant like more people in the pews. I'm not just talking about more people in the pews. I'm talking about growing up in Christ, like we've said so far. The church growing into Christ's body, all that Christ has made the church to be. See, if we think they're connected, or rather disconnected from individual growth and Church growth, we'd be wrong. See, notice the title that Paul assigns to both him and Apollos. Apollos the great preacher. Apollos. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants. The Corinthians are blinded by their fleshly human way of thinking. They've transposed cultural values of leadership cultural values and notions of power onto their church leaders. But if the blindfold was to be removed, if the veil was to be torn, who would they discover Paul and Apollos truly are in God's economy? Servants. Now, I haven't seen the Wizard of Oz, but I imagine that's what happens in the Wizard of Oz, right? You peer behind the curtain, it's not what you expected, am I right? Did I read that right? Someone nod your head or... No? I missed it? Yeah? Thanks, Capri. We have a role to play in our own individual maturity. We say no to sin. We say yes to Jesus. You are to walk in obedience. You are to learn more. But ultimately, it is God, through God's Spirit, who makes us spirit people, that individual growth occurs. Well, the same thing that is true individually is also true corporately for all of us. Make no mistake about it. Paul and Apollos had a role to play. Paul planted the church. Apollos watered it with his preaching. But all that planting and all that watering is good for for nothing if God does not say grow. For nothing. So how does the church grow? First, the obvious thing should not be missed. God gives the growth. Five times. Five times in these five verses, God is the subject. God gave the growth, Paul says. God gives the growth, Paul says. You, Corinthians, are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God gives the growth. But mystery of mysteries, mystery of mysteries... In a way that bestows tremendous dignity and honor to his created people, God, for some reason, has chosen to use us, me and you. Second thing about how God grows his church, he does it using normal spirit people like you and me. The great theologian John Calvin, he he once wrote this, although God is able to work by himself, he nevertheless invites us puny mortals to be his assistants and he makes use of us as his instruments. The other day, it's, it's leaf raking season, right? So the other day, I went out front to rake some leaves. I don't do this often, by the way. Just want to be very clear about this. Like once a year, try to help out. Went out front to rake some leaves. And just as I was about to go do that, uh, of course, my, my sons heard that I was doing that and they asked, Dad, can, can we help you? And you know that if uh, your sons help you rake the leaves, the job is now four times longer. But of course, you know, in a moment of, of good fathering, I said, yeah, of course, come. Come help. So we rake leaves for what it felt like three hours. Small, small piece of grass. And I was doing most of the work. I was raking the leaves. I, I was putting them in the bin. Every once in a while, I'd lift my youngest guy up and, and he'd drop a leaf uh, in, in the bin. Who, who's raking the leaves? That, that is, right? That is. But our Father loves us so much that He says to us, Hey, come work with me. I know it's going to be more of a mess with you there. <laughs> look at the Corinthian church, right? Look, look at our church. We're going to have to go back there. Look here. I know it's going to be more of a mess with you there, but because you're mine, because I've stamped my seal on you, you are the church of God in Corinth, I'm going to bless your labor. I'm going to call you into this work. It is God who grows His church using broken and frail and sinful people like you and me. Last thing. How does the church grow? It grows... When unified in this one gospel work, we all play our part. Notice that first. There's not multiple works happening here, there's one work. One work. Every church that preaches Christ and Christ crucified in the city of Vancouver is doing the same job. I have co laborers who are Anglicans and Baptists, even Pentecostals, Presbyterians, all doing the same work in the city of Vancouver but unified in that one work, we each have a role to play. In verse 5, look at verse 5 with with me. This this might be the most liberating passage for Christian ministers in all the the Bible. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, listen, as the Lord assigned to each. As the Lord assigned to each. Paul was not Apollos. And Apollos was not Paul. Paul had a different assignment than Apollos, and Apollos had a different assignment than Paul. And guess what? The Lord did not give you the assignment that he gave to me. Some of you are very happy about that. But I'm also very happy to learn that the Lord did not give me the assignment that he gave you. Do you see this, Christ City? One of the north star, sort of guiding light passages in my ministry has been out of John 21. At this point in John's gospel, Jesus is resurrected. And people are happy about that, obviously. Jesus is alive. But throughout John's gospel, there is this undercurrent, I don't know if you've noticed this before, of rivalry between Peter and John. See, it was John who showed up at the tomb before Peter. It, it was John who opened the door to let Peter into Jesus' trial. I, I, I was already here, right? It, it was John who believed in the resurrected Jesus first before Peter did. It was John who first realized that the stranger in the boat with them was Jesus before Peter did. And now in John 21, Peter finally has his moment in the sun. Peter's going to be this great shepherd, this great pastor, and he's going to lead God's people. And then he turns back and he sees, after Jesus says to Peter, follow me, that John has been following Jesus all along, this whole time. And so in John 21, 21 and 22, we read this. When Peter saw him, that's John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man And Jesus said to him, and we need to hear this this morning, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? And then Jesus says to Peter these words, you follow me. Getting to the heart of what's happening in this passage, one commentator observes something we all know to be true, that one of the most crippling temptations in Christian work is to compare one's work with the work of an envied or admired other. By the way, we all do Christian work. Not just me or Heath or Daniel or Kendra. We all do Christian work. And one of the most crippling temptations in Christian work is to compare one's work with the work of an envied or admired other. I grew up with a terrible, terrible, terrible curse. And the curse is this, that my siblings are probably some of the most lovely, charitable, generous, tender-hearted people you will ever meet. It was a terrible, terrible, evil curse. Because while my siblings were winning friends and influencing people for the gospel, I was reading books. And while people would wait outside, I remember this, would wait outside the school, to walk in with my siblings. That's how beloved they were. I walked in like a normal kid, but by myself. As I got older, my brother and I both entered into pastoral ministry. And I began noticing, and if you know my brother, you know this about him, it's true, that people gravitate towards him. They love him. Like he can just walk into a room and it's like he has magnets on or something. Or he's giving out cash or something. I don't know what it is. To this day, I don't know but people gravitate towards him. So here's my temptation. Here's my Peter and John moment. What about him, Lord? Why can't I have what what he has? And maybe you have that person this morning in your mind. What about her, Lord? Why can't I have what she has? And to all of us this morning, including myself, here's what the Lord says. What is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. Friends, you have work to do. You have work to do. You have work to do. Not just in your own growth, but in the growth of God's kingdom. You have work to do. So don't look to your left and don't look to your right. Don't say to yourself, it would be nice to get the assignment that he got or she got or they got. You've been assigned, you, I'm not talking to anybody else, you have been assigned work from the Lord to do, work for which you will be rewarded or not in the age to come. And the question this morning is, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it? it? Will you commit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of God in the soul of man, to growing into the person, growing into the gifts the Lord has given you, not just for your growth, but for the good of God's kingdom? Will you do it? Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we confess that often we believe we've arrived. That we've searched the depths of your son Jesus and considered our work done. And for that, forgive us. Forgive us when we have gone to something new, something a bit more exciting, a bit more relevant, Lord, would you, by your spirit, with the life that you have for us, with all the days we have remaining, help us to plumb the depths of your son, Jesus. Help us to do the thing now that indeed we will be doing for all of eternity. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would do this in your mercy and grace. Amen.